You're listening to the RUF at UT podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. Where we are talking about uh, trying to answer the question, what is the church? We began this last week, and if you were here in the cool auditorium across the hall, it was amazing. Um, It's a dream come true for me to be there. But... uh, The way that the Bible answers this question, what is the church, is really interesting. It doesn't just come out and define it. It gives all sorts of pictures and images for you to be able to engage with what the Bible has to say. And so last week we kind of began opening the Instagram feed of the Bible and looked at the reality that the Bible describes the church as a whore, which was a shocking way to... Uh, talk about the church, but the Bible describes the church as a unfaithful, backstabbing, cheating, adulteress. So I thought it was just a great, soft, light way to begin talking about this subject. But the question for tonight is, if that's true, if the church really is a mess, if the church is full of people that are a mess, then the question is, why should we be a part of it? And to answer that question, the Bible gives us another image, another picture. And the picture that the Bible gives us for tonight, at least the one that we're going to look at, is this image of the, uh, of the church as a body, a human body. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 12. We'll pick it up in verse 12. It says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and were were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another." If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is God's word for us tonight. If you would, let me pray and then we'll consider it together. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for uh, your word, as, as dense and as confusing as it might be. I pray that your spirit would be present to help us, to teach us, to lead us into what is true, to lead us into what is good and what is beautiful. And we would ask this uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Uh, I, I heard about this study recently. I, I, can't, I really can't remember much of the details of it, but it kind of went something like this. It involved monkeys and cages. They would put a monkey by itself in a cage, and they would like shake the cage and like rattle the cage and agitate it, and then they would monitor the vital signs of the monkey. And the monkey in the cage by itself, you know, its, it's uh, heartbeat is racing, its, it's uh, breathing is escalating, its blood sugar is kind of spiking, it's just like getting stressed out and agitated. And then they repeated the experiment, this time by putting like three or four monkeys in a cage together and shaking the cage. And they monitored their vital signs. And when they monitored the vital signs of the monkeys that were together, they weren't nearly as stressed out. Their heartbeats didn't escalate nearly as high. Uh, Their blood sugar didn't get out of whack like this one did. And it was a really interesting experiment that basically proved that uh, if monkeys (laughs) need each other to get through really stressful hard times, how much more so do we need each other to get through hard and stressful times. I mean, you know this as well as I do, that everyone believes there is a fundamental need that we have for other people. This is why um, solitary confinement is a form of torture. This is why when you don't have anything to do on the weekend, like anybody to hang out with on the weekend or anywhere, anybody to sit with at the game, like you just kind of feel like you know, dehumanized at some level. Like, we need other people, really, in order to function or to thrive. And Paul is making this point from 1 Corinthians 12, that in the same way that you need other people, it is also true, the principle is also true, that you need the church. The same principle applies. Just in the same way that you need other people for, like, thriving and flourishing for your personal life, you need the church to thrive and, per, and, and survive for your spiritual life. And the way that Paul's going to kind of state this case or make his case is he's going to say two big ideas. One, that the church needs you. And secondly, two, that you need the church. So what I want to do is just try to get into his headspace a little bit and try to understand why he says the church needs you and secondly, why we need the church. First, let's look at why he thinks the church needs you. Look at uh, verse 15 and 16 again. It says this. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And so here's what Paul's doing. He's taking this image of a human body, and he's saying, look, wouldn't it be really weird If your foot just started talking and said, I'm not a hand. I can't grab stuff. I don't have opposable thumbs. This stinks. I stink. And uh, there's a a foot joke. Um, And if the foot, because it wasn't a hand and felt like, oh, I can't grab stuff, it just severed itself from the body and walked off, like that would be really bad for the body. Uh, it would be, you know, just kind of shift the metaphors. If if Jalen Hurd, you know, our running back, uh, was like, well, you know, because I can't throw the ball, because I'm not Josh Dobbs, like, I don't have a role to play. 
on this team. Like, I'm just going to quit the team. Like, that's the same sort of idea, the same idea of, like, Paul is making this point that a football team thrives and uh, does well when all the parts are working together, quarterbacks, running backs working together. The body thrives and functions best when all the different parts are working together. There are no indispensable body parts, even though it feels like there are some that don't matter as much. Okay? Uh, I don't know if... uh, We'll look at verse... uh, 17. Uh, he says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense be, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? He's saying, look, you need all the parts of the body working together. This is what makes a body function. Uh, if you've seen the movie, the Lego movie, then you would know that it is awesome. I mean, everything is awesome in that movie. <laughs> And um, the story is basically about this ordinary construction worker named Emmett Brokowski, who um, uh, the background story is that there is this, the, the bad guy, the evil Lord Business, is trying to destroy the world at the next, like the upcoming Taco Tuesday. And so here is this Emmett Brokowski, ordinary guy. He has no skills. He's just a construction worker, just a law-abiding citizen. And there's this prophecy going around that someone who is very special is going to find this piece of resistance and put an end to Lord Business's plans. Okay? So Emmett Brokowski falls and trips and stumbles upon this piece of resistance. And eventually, uh, you know, everyone, everyone in this universe describe, begins to talk about him like, you are the special. You are the one that the prophecy was talking about. And he's brought to this council where there are all of these, like, amazingly gifted characters that are in the audience. There's, like, Batman, and there's Superman, and Wonder Woman, there's Gandalf, and uh, Dumbledore, and one of the Ninja Turtles. Like, all of these awesome, gifted people, characters, heroes are there. And here's just, like, ordinary... Emmett Brokowski, who like has no skills and he just kind of wants to fit in. And the reason I bring that up is because my guess is if you've ever been to a church in Knoxville, you probably showed up and felt a little bit like Emmett Brokowski, where you were like, uh, this church has been getting along fine without me. I'm just like an ordinary, I'm just like a college student. I'm just an ordinary person. I don't really have any skills. I'm just kind of like showing up and I don't like, I'm only going to be in Knoxville for a few years anyway, so... <laughs> It would feel weird for me to like settle into this. They, they, they have, they've been doing this a whole lot longer without me, and they're going to be doing this a whole lot longer without me. So, like, it doesn't feel like I have a role to play here, right? I'm just an ordinary person. And Paul is saying in this passage, much like the Lego Movie, uh, you are the special. Like, you are special. You have gifts and abilities and talents that the rest of the church doesn't have. And the church needs you to share those gifts and talents and abilities with them. Like the church doesn't thrive without you. And if you feel like I'm just an ordinary college student, like I'm just trying to like go to school and like pass classes, feels like I'm uh, feels like I'm an expendable body part, as it were. And Paul is looking at you and saying, the body can't thrive without body parts that seem like they're expendable. The church needs you. Look, uh, um, here's something that you can do. You can show up to a church and you can ask somebody who's in charge, uh, like, what what can I do? Like, what needs do you have 
And then you begin to sync up what you're good at, what you enjoy doing with whatever the church might need. That's, a, that's at least a place to start, a place to begin serving a local church. That's why the, bio, the Bible talks about it. Each Christian has something called spiritual gifts. Everyone is gifted in a different way, and the church needs the entire body of Christ to be present to utilize those gifts. But here's the reason, if you think about it, why don't we do this? Like, why don't Christians show up to church to serve? Uh, I think there's probably a lot of reasons for this, uh, but one reason my get, that my guess is, is that college students have crazy commitment phobia. Crazy high level of commitment phobia. Like, you can't serve somewhere unless you stay somewhere. And none of y'all want to stay somewhere. Because as soon as you stay somewhere, uh, you have to start battling the FOMO thing. The fear of missing out. Like, there's always going to be, like, that cooler church that all your friends start going to. And then you're wondering, I'm stuck at this church. Maybe I'll just go over there. And you can't serve where you're not staying. Uh, or Or you show up at a church and you find out, like, there's things that are just kind of annoying about it or frustrated about it, and so you bounce around. Uh, When I was in college, actually when I was in high school, I became a Christian in high school through the ministry of this um, Baptist church. And I thought this this church was like the perfect church. It was the only church I'd ever been in, so of course I thought it was like perfect. Like all my friends were there, they were all cool, we had like our little group. Uh, The music was awesome, the preaching was awesome, and when I went to college, I got really frustrated because I like couldn't find the perfect church. And so what I did was there were, there were a couple different churches in town that I just literally just like ping-ponged back and forth <laughs> between the two of them. Uh, because one, the music was really awesome, but the preaching kind of sucked. And then this church, like, the preaching was really awesome, music was really horrible. And so I just kind of custom-made my little church experience each week, going here for the preaching, next week go over here for the music, this week go, just bouncing around and didn't have a church home, really, until my senior year of college. And my guess is that's what a lot of y'all are doing if you're a Christian tonight, that you're, that, that you're bouncing around from ch- one church to the other, either looking for the perfect church, which doesn't exist, or because you got frustrated or annoyed with this aspect of this church, or you trying to do what I did, like tailor-making a customized spiritual experience to fit you. And what I think Paul is encouraging us to do in this passage is to think bigger and in different categories than just, what's in it for me? I'm going to show up to this church to get this out of it. I'm going to show up to this church to get this out of it. And Paul's saying, you show up to serve. You show up to give. You show up to work towards the holistic flourishing of the whole body of Christ. (coughs) And you can't serve where you don't stay. Or if I can switch the metaphors and talk a little bit more directly. Um, A lot of y'all, I would say, are dating the church without any kind of commitment level. I'm just kind of checking her out. We're going out a little bit every now and then. And if you're a Christian in the room tonight, then uh, it's time to get engaged. It's time to pick a church and say, I'm going to commit to you, warts and all, and I'm going to serve you and I'm going to love you, even if something cooler pops up, even if all my friends go somewhere else, I'm here to stay because I'm here to serve. The church needs you. That's what Paul is saying. But he doesn't just say that. He doesn't just say that the church needs you. He also says, you need the church. 
And here's the second thing I want to look at with you. Look, look at verse 21. He says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. See how Paul's flipping the image and he's saying, wouldn't it be ridiculous if your hand uh, like looked at your, no, like your eye looked at your hand and was like, I don't need a hand. I mean, I'm looking good without it. Eye joke. Um, like, I don't, I don't need to grab stuff. I can see stuff just fine. And Paul is saying, look, if an eye is just all by itself and does it, it's not connected to a hand, it's seriously impaired. It's just a floating looking organ. It's, it's not attached to anything that can actually do anything in the world. It's seriously impaired if it's by itself. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Because of course it needs it. And his point is, a Christian can't say to another Christian, I don't need you. And by implication, a Christian certainly can't say to a group of Christians called the church and say, I don't need you. His point is that you desperately need the church. Okay, why though? Let me give you just two reasons why you actually need the church for your spiritual flourishing. You need the church to know God and to grow in God. To know God and to grow in God. Why do you need the church to know God? Well, look, um, well, think about this. Before I did RUF at UT, I did RUF at Appalachian State University. It's up in the mountains, and everybody would, all of our students would, every now and then, get their Bible and their journal and their iPod back then and drive out to the Blue Ridge Parkway and just, like, find this awesome spot where it was just, like, this beautiful scene, and they would get up there and, like, listen to music and journal and pray and read the Bible and kind of have some one-on-one time with God, which is, like, awesome. It's an awesome thing to do, but I began to discover they were doing this instead of being a part of a local community of believers. It's like This was replacing church for them. So something that I began to say pretty regularly to them was there's no such thing as a personal relationship with Jesus. Like There's no such thing as a personal relationship with God. The Bible doesn't have a category for a purely just me and God kind of relationship. That makes no sense according to the Bible. In the Bible, it's always within the context of a church, of a community. Uh, think about it like this. Um, every year I get together with my three best friends from college, Russ, Clint, and Blake. And we take a couple of days, a number of days, and we stay at this cabin right outside of Asheville. And we laugh and we grill and like smoke meat and like do adventures and we swim and do all kinds of fun stuff for these few days. And it's like incredible. And because I live, you know, the closest... Like the other guys live, like one's in Seattle, one's in Fort Worth. Because I'm the closest, and some of these guys have to fly out early the next morning, it's usually me and Russ that stick around to clean up all the stuff afterward. And the dynamic, I began to notice when it was four of us, and it went down to just the two of us, the dynamic of our friend group kind of changed. And I always thought initially, like, this is really great. Like, I kind of have, like, Russ all to myself now. Like, I, I get more of Russ now that it's just me and him. When the reality was, I actually got less of Russ. Because when the other two guys left, I no longer got to see how Russ would like laugh at a Clint joke. I, I never got to see how he would respond to like something stupid that Blake would say. And the point is, it takes 
multiple people to activate and draw out all that is present in one human being. One person can't fully get to know one human being. It takes a whole group of people to draw out all that that person is. And if that's true with getting to know a person, how much more true is it to get to know God? There's no such thing as just a me and him kind of dynamic. The only way that you can get to know God is in the context of multiple people and a diverse range of people. This is why it's important uh, to be around older Christians, like people that have been walking with Jesus 30, 40, 50 years, because you can have a reference point, a model, for what it looks like to be following Jesus for that long. This is why you need to be around people your own age that, are, that, that can walk through your particular issues with you. Uh, this is why you also need to be around Christians that are younger than you, like high schoolers that are like really excited and uh, like thrilled for Jesus because that's so encouraging to your own faith. This is why we need to be around like babies, because like, like toddlers and infants, because they give you a physical, concrete image of what it means to be a Christian, like someone who's just 100% need. We have to be around this, a, this broad spectrum of an age range, not to mention uh, how wonderful it would be to also have that be um, ethnically diverse, politically diverse, culturally diverse. The more diverse, the more you begin to stop thinking that God is a, uh, an image that looks exactly like me and thinks like me and votes like me. No, you actually get to know and experience a God in a multi-dimensional way because you're experiencing him through the community. This is why, by the way, that RUF can't be your church because we are a room full of 18 to 22-year-olds that are mostly white. There are no babies around here. There's no old people around here except David Reynolds. And, um, sorry, David. And uh, so this is why like, we need to be around groups of people, contexts of people that show us aspects of God that we don't see on our own. You cannot get to know God purely by yourself. Think about it like this. Let's say there's this man that meets the woman of his dreams. She is... Uh, just amazing. She is his soulmate. Uh, she compliments him in every way. He's just head over heels in love with her. Can't stop talking about her. Um, they eventually get engaged. And after about a month or so, she wants to introduce him to her family. They're having this annual family reunion. She wants to bring uh, him around to meet her family. She wants her family to meet him. And so he shows up at this family reunion, and when he encounters her uncles and aunts and cousins and grandparents, uh, he is shocked. Because her family, as he discovers, is like a complete train wreck. Like, when they walk up, uh, her parents are in a shouting match with each other. Um, Her brother is, like, covered in zits and has horrible breath. Um, her uncles are like trashed and like vomiting in the corner over there. Um, her aunt is like uh, extremely rude and is wearing um, really horrible clothes. Um, her cousins are covered in barbecue sauce and they're like audibly farting. And it's just, uh, it's just a train wreck. And so he pulls her aside and says to her, look, uh, sweetie, I love everything about you. you are, I'm absolutely crazy about you. You are the woman of my dreams. 
Uh, I just want you to know, if we move forward with this engagement, we can never be around your family again. <coughs> are you cool with that? Like, are you cool marrying me, but I just want nothing to do with your family ever again? Uh, she would say no. Like, this is my family. And the point is, you, you might adore God. You might be crazy about God, but the church and him come as a package deal. This is why... When God calls you to himself, he invites you and brings you into a family of God, and you don't get to choose who the family is. They may be really awkward and really disgusting and really hard to be around, and God says, here's my family. Come be a part of it. There's no such thing as a personal relationship with God. You cannot get to know God by yourself. You can only get to know him in the context of his family, the church. So you have to, you need the church in order to know God. And here's the second thing. You, you need the church in order to grow in God. In order to grow, in order to be sanctified as a person, as a Christian. Uh, think about it like this. It's, it's really easy to be a Christian by yourself. If you think about it, you can wake up, you can read the Bible, you can pray, you can close the Bible and like go about your day. And like that's really easy. You know what's really hard? is like having to ask somebody else for forgiveness. What's really hard is having to forgive somebody that's hurt you. What's really hard is having to confront your friend when you know they're being an idiot. Uh, It's really hard having to be patient and love somebody that you think is so selfish and so annoying. Like It's hard to be in the context of people because people can be hard. But here's the thing. What if that's the point? Frankly, it's a whole lot easier when it's just me and Jesus. But what if it's the point that because I'm in the context of other people that's hard and it's messy, that is the very mechanism that God is using to sanctify me and grow me. Part of, if you think about this, part of being a part of the church, it's like, it's like being in a laboratory. You know, like up here, like on a Sunday morning when you're hearing sermons, it's like, that's kind of like the lectures. But like when you actually go into living in a community, it's like, it's like being in a lab where you're physically implementing the stuff that you're hearing in the lectures. And it's, it's the lab where you're learning how to love people. Because when you actually are put in a situation where you're like, this is really inconvenient and I don't really have time or the energy to love this person or to serve this person, that's when you are tested to really know whether or not you actually love that person and want to serve them in a way that Jesus calls you to. Because if you're anything like me, there's this part of you, and maybe you live this, where you think, man, I've been working hard all week. When it gets to be Sunday, I just want, I just like want to sleep in and like just have a little me time been going all week long. I'm going to have Sunday be me time. That sounds amazing. Uh, But you know what you will never learn in the context of me time? You will never learn how to love anybody. Uh, Or think of it like this. I know some of of us are probably thinking, man, I just want to sleep in. I don't want to have to get dressed and like drive all the way out there and like talk to those awkward people and like suffer through those awkward songs and listen to that boring sermon uh, so what I'll do is I'll just like get together some of my friends and we'll just kind of like do church by ourselves, like just me and my friends. Like that sounds amazing. Uh, the problem with that though is all the people that you don't invite to be a part of it because the people that you don't invite to be a part of it are people that you don't know 
or people that you don't like. And in God's brilliance, he's like, no, that's the kind of people that you need to be around. You need to be around uncool, awkward people that are hard to love because that's what actually sanctifies you. If you only surround yourself with cool people that are easy to love and look exactly like you and vote like you and talk like you, then you'll never grow. You'll never develop into someone that learns how to love. Because love always comes at a cost when it's inconvenient, when it doesn't benefit you. It's the lab of love. I I heard this story. I don't know if it's true or not. It sounds like it might be made up. It sounds like a parable or something, but whatever. Take it with a grain of salt. The story goes something like this, that there was this man and his wife that were a part of this church. And recently, uh, they stopped going. The, The husband stopped going, and it's, I guess this was a smaller church, and the pastor of this church came and visited the house, and like knocked on the door, and the guy, the, the guy that has like stopped coming to church, kind of like invited him in, like sure, you can come in, and they, they go to the living room, and he sits down, the pastor sits down, and the, the guy has a fire going in the fireplace, and the guy's like, hey pastor, thanks for coming by, I know why you want to talk with me, but I want you to know I still love God. I haven't thrown out God. I just don't like all the organized religion stuff, the dogma, the the politics. Uh, I still love God. I just don't want anything to do with, like, organized stuff. And so the pastor doesn't say a word. He just gets up and takes some tongs from the fire and pulls out a coal. It's glowing, you know, orange, and it kind of puts it up on the hearth and, like, puts the tongs back down and goes and sits back down. Doesn't say a word, and he just stares. They have them both stare at this coal that goes from orange down to black. And it just you know, loses all of its heat once it's isolated. And kind of that was his point, and that was the point of the story, that God actually uses the heat and the friction of the church to keep you going, to keep you growing, to keep you burning, to keep you alive. And when you isolate yourself from it, that's when you begin to burn out. That's when you begin to get cold, get numb, because you're disconnected from his body. Uh, So here's the thing. Um, Once you are in the context of the church, that's actually when you see your need for Jesus, when you actually see, man, people are seeing my anger, they're seeing the way that I am uh, frustrated with my kids, the way that I lie, the way that I talk to my spouse, they see my temper, they see my lust, they see my greed, they see my fears. It's in the context of the church that you're seen, that you're exposed, but it's also in the context of the church that you are given Jesus, where you see his body broken for you, you see his blood poured out for you. Uh, when, when you are embraced and, and people are shaking your hands and welcoming you with embraces, you are experiencing the tangible, concrete hospitality of Jesus for lazy, selfish, narcissistic sinners. When you go into a church community, you are bombarded with sights and smells and sounds and words that are flooding you with the loving grace and hospitality of God. You need the church in order to know him and in order to grow in him. Now, I'll end with this. I began with uh, a weird animal story. I'm going to end with a weird animal story. Uh, This is a true story. You can look it up on the internet. and Everything is true that's on the internet. Uh, It was a Monday afternoon in 2007 in Charleston. I think it was Charleston. It was on some beach in South Carolina. And there's this family out there that's having a family reunion. Another family reunion story. 
and they're out there lounging in the beach by the water, having some drinks, listening to music, chilling. True story, man walks up in this haze, like stumbling like a, like a zombie. Blood is all over his shirt, and as he gets closer, they begin to realize he, he is missing an arm. His arm has been severed, and he's like blood is like spraying everywhere. He collapses down in front of them. True story, some of the people in this family of reunion were nurses, and so they knew how to like stop the bleeding, and they, they kind of bandage him, and he begins to explain, I was in like a marsh uh, just over there fishing, and an alligator came up and like chomped off my arm. So there's some guys in this South Carolina family reunion that go and take some rifles and begin running in the direction of the alligator. <laughs> Somehow, I don't know how this is possible, somehow find the alligator, and here's what they stumble upon, a 12-foot-long, 600-pound, whatever 12 feet is, 12-feet-long, 600-pound, like, dinosaur that they shoot, kill, pull it out of the water, cut its stomach open, pull the arm out, put it in one of the coolers from their family reunion with like sprites and cokes on top of it, close it, send him and the cooler to the hospital. Get to the hospital, doctors take it out, put it back on his body. How that's possible, I don't understand. Look it up. It's on Wikipedia. And, uh, But here's the question. Here's the question. Why in the world would anyone do that? Why would you risk your own life to go after a 12-foot-long, 600-pound monster that just bit someone's arm off that could easily just bite your arm off? Why would... Um, like, I'm sure shooting it, pulling it was so gross, cutting it open, so messy, so grotesque. The surgery had to have been so extensive, so expensive. Why all of that effort? And here's why. Because an arm disconnected from a body by itself is worthless. And a body without an arm is seriously impaired. It's not the way it's supposed to be. For whatever reason, some of y'all who claim to be Christians tonight have severed yourself from the body of Christ. For whatever reason. And I think what the Bible is doing with you this evening is it's nudging you and it's encouraging you that Jesus is actually on the pursuit to chase you down. And it's not at the risk of his life, but it's actually at the cost of his life to get you and reapply you to his body. And the reason is, is that a disconnected arm by itself is worthless. And a body without an arm is seriously impaired. If you're a Christian, you are a part of the body of Christ. The church needs you, and you need the church. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would help us. Uh, there are lots of reasons why some of us have disconnected from the church. Um, and a lot of those reasons are hard and um, understandable. Why we would not want to be a part of something that has hurt us or hurt people that we love. 
and yet we were confronted with passages like this that, uh, that, that challenge us, that invite us back to be a part of uh, this thing where we can thrive, where we can flourish, and where we can actually make the church more whole, where we can be a part of healing, uh, maybe a part of the body that's diseased or in need of repair. Father, help us to love what you love. Thank you that you love us enough to give your son for us. And so in light of your grace and mercy, empower us by your spirit to love and to serve uh, what you love and what you want us to serve. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.